Hello, greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us, and we're glad for your interest in spiritual matters. My name's Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. The story of Christianity centers on the gospel of Jesus as the Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension and lordship, and his imminent return. And we see this emphasized as the gospel is preached in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 17, and of course the idea in Romans 1 and verse 16 that the gospel is God's power unto salvation. But where do we learn the gospel from? Well, we learn a lot about the gospel through the apostles the twelve men whom Jesus chose to witness and participate in his ministry, and the ones he commissioned to bear witness to his life and death and resurrection to the whole world in Matthew 10, 18, Luke 24, and Acts chapter 1. But there's two other apostles who were commissioned by the Lord to preach the gospel among the nations as well, not just the original twelve. There's Barnabas, called the son of encouragement, named an apostle in Acts 14.14, 14, and Saul of Tarsus, who's also called Paul, of whom the Acts chapters 9-28 through 28 tells the story, and he had written the letters of Romans through Philemon. Maybe these gentlemen saw Jesus preach and teach in, in life, and we know that Paul at least saw him in the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 and 9 and other places. But today let us consider Barnabas, this son of encouragement. He's a believer who sacrificed much for the gospel of Jesus. He's reckoned as an apostle. But his name is not as familiar and as famous as Paul and others. And that would probably suit him. His main strength was in how he worked to encourage others and the kingdom of God. We meet Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. And in verse 36, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that had belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so we can we learn some very pertinent details about him here. We learn that he is a Levite. He's a native of Cyprus, which is uh, a large island uh, right off the coast of southeast Turkey and just west of Syria today. And his name is Joseph. But it seems that no one actually called him Joseph. Instead, he's called Barnabas by the apostles. He's given another name. And Barnabas, we're told, means son of encouragement. And we meet him here as a person who sold a field that he had owned. And he laid its proceeds at the apostles' feet. And this was so that everybody would be able to uh, have their needs met. And so we can see that he has concern for his fellow Christians in Jerusalem to the point where he proves willing to sell off his investment, all that he had, in order to help provide for them. And uh, he threw himself fully on the Lord. He had nothing else to rely on if things went uh, wrongly. And so we can see that he has great faith here as we first are introduced to him here. Now, anything about him earlier? Whether he knew Jesus on earth, whether he was one of the 70, whether he... Uh, how he converted. Was he one from the beginning, or did he hear from the pre preaching of Peter uh, on Pentecost or, or in the temple? We, we just don't know. We don't know anything else, and so anything would be speculative. And so that's how we are introduced to Barnabas. Now, the rest of the time we're going to hear about Barnabas, uh, for the most part in the book of Acts, and throughout the rest of the New Testament, 
is going to be in terms of Saul of Tarsus, who will also become known as Paul. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 27, Saul has come back to Jerusalem having seen the Lord on the road to Damascus, but the disciples in Jerusalem are afraid of him because they knew what he used to do. They were concerned that he was maybe trying to ingratiate himself with the disciples in order to persecute them further. And yet it's Barnabas in verse 27 who took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas took the risk here. Barnabas trusted the story that Saul gave. Maybe he had independent confirmation from witnesses in Damascus that he knew. Uh, regardless, he trusted and was willing to vouch for Saul in front of the apostles and the rest of the Christians in Jerusalem. Not, uh, not a small thing indeed. And so we see uh, how Barnabas is working there. And because of that, Paul is welcomed among the believers. In Acts chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, when the church in Jerusalem had heard about how the gospel had advanced in Antioch of Syria among both Jews and Gentiles, they sent Barnabas to go down from Jerusalem to Antioch to see uh, what was going on about that. And he, it says in verse 23, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So he was very encouraged by what he saw. And so he, in turn, exhorts and encourages others. A son of Encouragement can also mean son of exhortation. That's what Barnabas is doing here. And the, what, what, how Luke describes him, he's a good man, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. The last time we saw somebody described like that was Stephen. Back in Acts chapter 6 and 7, uh, after his stoning, uh, we saw that Stephen had this place of great prominence next to the apostles, and now Barnabas has taken that place of prominence next to the apostles. Uh, of being called this, uh, his, his work is, is made evident. And it's very telling that Barnabas was the one that the apostles sent to see what was going on in Antioch. Now, having seen what was going on there, he goes to Tarsus to look for Saul and brought him to Antioch. And they worked and taught a great many people there uh, in Antioch for a, for a whole year. And we're told that in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. After that, in verse 27 through 30, when they had heard that there was going to be this great famine in the land, the uh, Christians of Antioch wanted to send some relief to the saints in Judea, and they sent it down to Jerusalem by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Uh, we're told at the end of chapter 20 that Barnabas and Saul returned from that uh, service, and they brought John Mark with them, uh, John called Mark. And then in chapter 13, we, we get the, a very... Uh, pivotal moment here in, in Barnabas's life and ministry. Uh, he and Saul are among the prophets and teachers there in Antioch. And in verse 2, while they were uh, serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then we're told that after fasting and praying, they lay their hands on them and set them off. And so this is the first missionary journey of Paul. Uh, it's Barnabas and Saul are heading off. They go down to Cyprus first, uh, Barnabas' home area, uh, and Barnabas is going along with, with Saul. Now, it's very interesting to note that uh, in verse 9 of chapter 13, Saul is now called Paul, and Luke will now consistently refer to uh, Saul Tarsus as Paul throughout. And the shift is also made 
that it is now Paul and Barnabas, whereas it had been Barnabas and Saul, now the text will talk about Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas goes from being named first to being named second. And we're told that it's 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 we can see that Paul's the one doing a lot of the preaching, and but Barnabas is there too, and Barnabas is working. In fact, in chapter fourteen, we see uh, when they're at Lystra that they thought that the gods had come and down to them and become men, and they called Barnabas Zeus in twelve, verse twelve, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So Barnabas had let Paul do the speaking. Now he's considered as Zeus for some reason. Uh, of course, they had to hinder them from offering sacrifice. Uh, to them. Um, Barnabas is a full participant in the ministry. He, he suffers persecution along with Paul. Uh, he's uh, kicked out of town just like Paul is over and over again. Uh, and, and So he's a full participant in this ministry and goes along with Paul to all these places. Uh, in verses 20-26 they come back through and they strengthen disciples in the cities they had passed through and they appointed elders. And then at the end of the chapter, they proclaim in Antioch what God had done there. And they stayed no little time, we're told. And chapter 15, uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, strongly opposed those who um, had no small dissension debate with those who said that unless they, uh, Christians are circumcised and follow up Moses, they could not be saved. They were commissioned to go down to Jerusalem to um to have this matter settled, since that's where these people had come from, and Barnabas and Paul in verse 12 relate the signs and wonders that God had done among them, among the Gentiles, through them among the Gentiles, and it's Paul and Barnabas with Judas, Barsabbas, and Silas who are sent with the letter, commission is establishing that no the Gentiles do not have to observe the law of Moses in order to uh, serve God as faithful Christians. And both Barnabas and Saul are commended in this letter as beloved men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so their work among the gospel, among the Gentiles in the gospel is thus noted. Now in verse... 35 and 36, Paul says to Barnabas that it would be good to return and to visit all the Christians that they had spoken to the gospel to and see how they're doing. And then there's this disagreement. Barnabas wants to bring John called Mark. Uh, but Paul remembers that uh, John Mark had abandoned them when they were uh, heading uh, from Cyprus up to uh, what we call Asia Minor, uh, Turkey today. And he did not want to risk it. And uh, this was a sharp disagreement. And so they separated. And Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed. And from here on out, the, the two split ways for, for at least a, some time. Uh, for the rest of the time in the book of Acts, we do not hear about uh, the work of Barnabas. Uh, he is now going to tell us what happened with Paul. That has led some to speculate that uh, Paul and Barnabas had a almost permanent severing here, that it was a really, sh really sharp disagreement, but that's unlikely, and it's not necessary to uh, infer that from the text. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, it's very interesting that Paul will bring up uh, Barnabas. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, when he says... 
uh, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now, that helps to indicate one thing for us, that, in fact, Barnabas was also working while he was preaching the gospel, very much like um, Paul did, and would also be consistent with his character. But it also shows that uh, the Corinthians have some familiarity with Barnabas. Uh, 1 Corinthians is written at least five to seven years after the events in Acts 15, depending on it, but maybe about 50 or so when those events happen in Acts 15, maybe, of uh, 1 Corinthians being written around 55 to 57. Uh, the Corinthians have to know who Barnabas is. And they know that either because Barnabas has visited them himself, or it's because Paul has talked so much about Barnabas. And that would be difficult to imagine that he would do that if there was such a sharp disagreement that he had wanted nothing to do with the man. In Galatians 2 and verse 13, Paul mentions that when, uh, talking about Peter's condemnation, uh, when he was in Antioch and that Paul had to stand to his face because, you know, when he was just around the, uh, the Christians in Antioch, he, he hung out with the Gentile Christians. But then men came from James and Jerusalem and all of a sudden he held back. And Paul noted that even Barnabas was carried away in their hypocrisy. And so there's a, a mentioning of Barnabas there. Uh, now, exactly when that date is, it happened is highly disputed. Uh, very different opinions about when exactly that happened. Um, some say it happened around the same time as the Acts 15 events, which would uh, indicate, uh, and of course, they were both there at Antioch at that time, and that would therefore not be any additional evidence beyond what we already had seen. Um, but I wonder if maybe the preference should be placed on Paul's return in Acts 18.22. Uh, there's a lot of literary and thematic uh, consistencies between Galatians, uh, 2 Corinthians, and to a lesser extent Romans, uh, and therefore, and, and even to an extent 1 Corinthians. And so in that, you have a lot of the same things going on in that same time period, and it would work around that time period. That's the case, and that would show that Barnabas was in Antioch when Paul visited Antioch, um, there, it's entirely speculative, but it is certainly possible, and that would mean that Paul and Barnabas were together again in Antioch around 55. Other times we mentioned Barnabas in Colossians 4:10, we're told that uh, Mark is a cousin of Barnabas, uh, which may help indicate why Barnabas was so keen on bringing John Mark or having confidence in John Mark. Um, but what's interesting to note there in Colossians 4.10 is that uh, Paul's in prison, Paul's greeting people on their behalf. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, that Mark is greeting him. It also, therefore, means that Mark is there with Paul. And uh, in 2 Timothy 4.11, uh, Paul tells Timothy to bring Mark with him, because he is useful to me for ministry. Same in Philemon 1 and verse 24. And so it shows that Mark is at some point reconciled with Paul, and that uh, Paul has value, sees value in Mark for ministry. It also means in Acts 12, 12, uh, the Mary who owns the house that, they're, that the, the Christians are praying in is Barnabas's aunt in whose home many were praying for Peter's release. Or his, 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 and because since uh, Mark is Barnabas's cousin, and so that's what we can see about Barnabas in Scripture. Now, there are some traditions about Barnabas. Uh, according to tradition, he was martyred in Salamis in Cyprus around the year 61 in a book called um, The Acts of Barnabas. 
He is associated in in with uh, the Epistle of Barnabas, which is a uh, a letter that we have a copy. Of, we have many copies of. It's actually an anonymous letter, probably written around 130 in Alexandria, and it was designed to explain uh, Israel's continued rejection of Jesus, Israel according to the flesh, and also uh, types in, in Old Testament examples, uh, seeing uh, connections there. This is a moral instruction present as well. Uh, most ex- considered it spurious. Most considered that that was not actually who wrote it. Uh, but there are some who did. And after all, a lot of the places we found the Epistle of Barnabas are in these um, New Testament codices. Uh, and so that's uh, another thing to note. And that's what we see about Barnabas in tradition. So what can we learn from Barnabas? What can we take from his example? First and foremost, we can see his value as an encourager. He's not called the son of encouragement for nothing. And it's interesting to think about. Without Barnabas, who would have commended Saul to the disciples in Jerusalem? He gave John Mark a second chance, and he turned out to be useful for ministry to not only Paul, but also Peter. First Peter 5.13, uh, Mark is with him. And ultimately, because of that, he also wrote the Gospel of Mark. And so in these circumstances, we see this value in the encourager, the one who sees the potential in others, the one who is willing to go to bat for another, the one who builds another up in the faith. Uh, Saul is is cast out in Jerusalem. He might despair. Um, he may not have the standing. He needs to do what he needs to do in the kingdom. Uh, we might not have the Gospel of Mark if, if Barnabas is as willing to give up on John Mark as Paul was. And so that's why uh, there's that important, important encouragement. And you can think in your own life, uh, have you had an encourager? Have you had somebody who was there and gave you that word of strength when you would need it and who really encouraged you to press on, even if nobody else believed in you, even if nobody else was there for you? Those are very special people in our lives. And we all need to find ways of being that person for somebody else. It's not for nothing that so many verses in the New Testament talk about how we are to edify and encourage one another. Hebrews 10.25, we assemble to encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. And that's an important element to what we're trying to accomplish. It's interesting. Uh, we have no recorded words that Barnabas spoke by himself. He, quote-unquote, discovered Paul. He's the one who brought Paul to Antioch. He had no problem stepping back and allowing Paul to be the prominent speaker. It's part of how he is an encourager, but it really demonstrates his humility. He doesn't write anything in Scripture, but the Gospel of Mark and all of Paul's letter and much of Acts are there at some level because of his work and his presence. He didn't need the glory. He was full of faith in the Holy Spirit, a good man. He wanted God's purposes to be achieved. And if it were God's purposes were better achieved by having it be Paul and Barnabas rather than Barnabas and Paul, then so be it. And that's an important thing to remember. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12-27, there's roles for everybody in the body of Christ. There's public roles, private roles. They're all very important. And Barnabas demonstrates to us that powerful things can be done in God's kingdom without a lot of notice, with little fanfare, and even less publicity. That we can do great things, maybe even the greatest things for God and his kingdom. Not in public and prominent ways, but by allowing others to take the lead, by strengthening and encouraging in private. And this glory... Is not for us, but for God. Barnabas knew that. We can see how powerful his example can be. And that's what we get out of Barnabas, a son of encouragement, a prominent figure behind Paul and Mark, 
and he encouraged and taught no doubt many others. And that's why it's so important for us to be thankful and to let those let known how thankful we are for those people who are encouragers in our own life that we need to be encouragers of others and to seek to remain humble as Barnabas did. Again, thank you for your interest in spiritual matters. We hope that you benefit by the exploration of Barnabas. Maybe not as much about him as others, but a whole lot of really important things to think about. If there's any way that we can be of service in any way, maybe we need to talk, like talk more about Barnabas or something else in the New or Old Testament. Maybe you have a prayer request. Maybe you just need to talk to somebody. Please feel free to contact me through my website, deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Or if you'd like to check out the Venice Church of Christ, you can learn more about us. We're online at venicechurchofchrist.org. We're also on many prominent forms of social media. We again thank you. Have a great day.